this is Beth and Jeff McCord, and this is your Enneagram Coach, the podcast, where we're here to help you to understand yourself with astonishing clarity so that you can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. Well, we're excited to answer some more of your questions. And uh, for those of you listening to get some answers from the Enneagram Yoda herself, or as our podcast producer likes to refer to her as the Julie Andrews mm-hmm. of the Enneagram. So why don't we get started with some questions from Jamie? All right. Well, Jamie asks, I would enjoy hearing about how we can use this tool with our family, parent to child, sibling to sibling. We have four and two with special needs. And there's 10 year span between them. And would love to learn how to help us all interact with each other more constructively and with lots of fun. Thanks for considering this for the podcast. Well, we actually did some episodes on parenting. And in fact, we did an episode where we interviewed our kids. So if you really want to get to know the McCord family and using the Enneagram, check out that podcast episode. It's one of the first five or six um, episodes. And Angie, our podcast producer, will put it in the show notes for you as well. But we just really want you to see and hear how we've used it as a family. And the biggest thing is to make sure that you don't use the Enneagram as a sword or a shield. You don't want to use it where you're hurting each other by belittling, sarcasm, being rude, inconsiderate, or definitely saying, you're just being a two or you're just being a three. Well, yeah, well, that's what a five would do. That does not promote loving communication and relationship. But we also don't want to use it as a shield where we'll say things like, yeah, you know what? Sometimes I procrastinate as a nine. You're just going to have to get used to it. Or yeah, I just need a lot of rest. Or sometimes it's hard for me to just get up and go. That's just the way it is. Because the gospel is is helping us to transform into the likeness of Christ, not to make excuses and not just to give up but to transform, to renew our mind and to engage in life. Well, a few things to consider whenever you're using the Enneagram as a family. Um, In Travis Brayberry, I believe is his name. He wrote the book Emotional Intelligence 2.0. But he talks about personal understanding and personal management and also relational understanding and relational management. And those broad categories are really what we're shooting for whenever we introduce something like the Enneagram to our family. It's a way of emotionally and relationally coaching one another to have loving uh, relationships connected relationships where we attune to one another in very kind ways and we open ourselves up to assisting and engaging with them. So one thing to always remember when using the Enneagram as it relates to children in their developmental years is that although you may assume that they may be one type, we'd encourage you to hold that lightly and maybe consider that they may be uh, one or two different types uh, because things may change and there's different layers. Um, They may be performing a particular role within your family and think that they're a type. Um, Oftentimes I joke with my kids, um, they know how to think like a six because they were parented by a six. And so there may Maybe times that they've thought, maybe I'm a six. Well, they're not. That's just their dad's voice in their head. So always keep that in mind. But number two, the Enneagram helps us to ask a new set of questions of one another. So it's not only observing how we're engaging with our world and engaging in relationships. Oh, that's interesting. I saw you do this. Uh, Or just simply affirming, 
wow, that was really interesting. I noticed whenever you faced this challenge, you didn't deal with it emotionally, but you dealt with it. Uh, you seem to go quiet and think more about it. Tell me more about that. So one, we can observe what's happening in one another's lives. Number two, we can ask the question of why, but with safety and curiosity rather than judgment and shame. So tell me why you decided to relate to your uh, sibling in that particular way. What was going on inside of you? And by addressing some of the why, you're actually going to be able to, they're going to learn about why they do the things that they do and more about themselves. And they're going to have the opportunity for you to be able to maybe share with them whether acting on that why was either healthy or an unhealthy way of acting upon it. Yeah, because I think we parent and from our personality perspective, and we assume our kids are doing what they're doing based off of what we would do. And why we would do it. And so sometimes we or or what we experienced, you know, because a lot of times um, our let's say if Nate and Libby were kind of uh, disagreeing or at each other, I might assume something incorrectly and not ask and just punish or get upset based off of why I thought it was happening. And I may totally miss what's really going on. Now, it's much better if we can you know, stop and ask curious questions and also clarify what we're thinking and feeling, but to make sure it's accurate. Now, of course, the littler the kids, the less they can really explain. But if anything, realize that you're seeing the situation through your own lens. And a lot of times your observation is not how they experienced it or what they're observing. So ask good, curious questions from a non-anxious, non-judgmental space so that you can assess what's really going on and then deal with it accordingly. All right. Next up is from Marley. And her question is, I am a type nine married to an eight and my husband likes to let all of his emotions out and then I absorb them in return, even when they are not even directed at me. How can I stop taking on the emotions of others and feeling like I need to keep the peace for everyone? (laughs) Great question. I'm still working on that. (laughs) And I laugh and and say that because it's true. So what we want to recognize is that Your personality is there. It's not going away. And that's a good thing. God wants to use the personality he has given you to reflect him, to bring glory to him and bless others. But we're on the side of heaven and there's the fall. And so there's sin and weaknesses and struggles that we encounter. The gift of the nine is we do feel the energy of what's going on around us, the tension, the upset, the joys, the excitement. We feel it all. We absorb it all. But our biggest thing is that we want people happy. So when people are upset or sad or disgruntled, you name it, we are on high alert. What can we do to make them happy, accommodate, uh, uh, meet their needs? Um, And again, some people are thinking, well, that sounds very two-ish. Well, the nine's feeling all these things, but they're not going to insert their help. They're going to ask, Hey, you know, do you want me to do this? Do you want me to do that? But internally there, it's like a two liter Coke with a lid on it. And all of this energy is like shaking it up. And they feel as if I'm going to explode all over the place. Cause there's so much tension, discord or unhappiness around me. I've got to fix this. 
but they don't want it to explode because then that could cause uh, discord or people getting upset or conflict even more. So the nine is trying their best to assess in their mind, how can I fix this situation? How do I get my body to calm down? So Marley, what I would suggest is recognizing how God made you uniquely, that you will pick up the energy from others. And the type eight is probably one of the most passionate and intense personality types on the Enneagram, which is a great thing and can be a hard thing too. So by recognizing that they will bring that energy. And like you said, it's not necessarily that's even aimed at you, but it's going to be there. Let your husband know that when he delivers the emotions, that it will land down you in a certain way. And you guys discover together what is the, um, a good way of taking good care of yourself to allow that tension and that energy to dissipate from you. For me, I love going outside and uh, laying in a hammock or an Eno that to me, it replenishes me. It allows like everything just to go to the wayside. And I feel like my soul just coming back at peace again. So you're probably going to have to find ways that really help you. But first and foremost, make sure that you're doing the best that you can to uh, communicate with him what's going on and what your needs are. Well, one of the things that comes to mind for me um, is not so much as it relates to Marley being a nine, but uh, what's going on for her husband and perhaps at times maybe even oversharing uh, what's going on in his life. Marley, please uh, be assured of this. One of the gifts and one of the reasons why your husband loves you dearly is because you are a nine. That was probably very safe for him and very few people will ever see that part of your spouse. Um, and so uh, one, it's a very cherished position to be in that circle of trust with a type eight. But I know that for me as a type six, um, I remember after preaching sermons, I would ask Beth, how did I do? And then uh, really asking her for her validation and affirmation. But then she recognized that I wouldn't always accept the encouragement. And so eventually it became, hey, Jeff, what is it that you're asking me for? What is it that you want? Because no matter what I say to you, it doesn't seem to help you. Uh, when in a moment where I may be feeling vulnerable, having just preached a sermon to a congregation. Well, that's when I realized that there is something going on with me that I'm looking for an external solution to an internal problem. And I'm asking my wife as a type nine to come through for me in ways that she wasn't necessarily designed to. And so rather than asking her the question, this became more of a conversation between me and my heavenly father, rather than putting the burden on her. And so there are things where we as spouses have to recognize that there are certain things that our spouse can do, and there are certain things that they can't do. And we shouldn't put pressure on them or simply unload our life onto them because it's not necessarily their burden to share. Great. All right. So let's go to Tabitha's question. And she said, I'm a nine and in my late thirties and single, I would love insight into thriving in the season when I never thought I'd be here. It is very hard for me to quote, put myself out there and dating feels elusive. How can I move out of my comfort zone and engage more in the dating world? Well, Tabitha, I 
a couple things come to mind initially, and then I know that Beth's going to have some ways to further elaborate on this. Often, nines fear disconnection. They, they long to be connected. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people around you that would call you a sincere friend. Um, but perhaps translating that into dating relationships may be difficult. Well, one of the things that nines often resonate as well as, am I enough? And that mindset or that subtle belief is actually one of the hindering things that could prevent you from taking initiative or showing up in relationships um, as a person who is open to having these kinds of conversations. Beth, why don't you comment a little bit about that, this thought of nines and not being enough? Yeah. And the, what she said, not putting yourself out there. No, that's so great. Yeah, because see, nines are hardwiring. We have this core lie that is like a record player. And the message is don't assert yourself. Or like she said, don't put yourself out there. Don't be much. Be humble. You know, uh, put everyone else else out in front of you. Well, what happens is then you overlook yourself. And when you overlook yourself, you're you're promoting and permitting others to do the same. Now, then the nine's thinking, but I don't want to be selfish and I don't want to boast. and I don't want to grab all the attention. Totally get it. But that's not what we're talking about. What we're wanting is for you to see how God created you so special with very specific talents, gifts, passions, desires, all to reflect him in a beautiful way, but also to bless others. So when you show yourself to others, when you assert yourself, when you put yourself out there, it isn't about you being selfish or self-consumed or boasting. It's about reflecting God. So get out there and be who God created you to be. That's great. Well, this last question is from Amy, and it's a very common question that we get, um, particularly in the community that we're in, being in a Christian community. And Amy has this to ask. I've heard many people questioning the use of the Enneagram with Christians. Could you guys uh, break down for us why the Enneagram with the gospel lens is not dangerous or satanic, as some will condemn or warn? Well, the question is a very sincere question, and I'm grateful that uh, many Christians are even asking the question, because it's very clear in the Scriptures that we are to test the spirits. Uh, Beth and I dealt with this question for a number of years, um, being a pastor, being ordained in a an uh, astute, a well-studied denomination where I was examined at several different times in regards to my theology and fidelity to the Bible and holding it up with respect and as God's Word. And so we wrestled with this question. Now, the problem is, is that there are various layers as to why people are disagreeing with the Enneagram. One, it is a tool that was developed uh, in a context that was not necessarily Western. So it's not, doesn't come from a think tank or research, but it became from a, um, a people, a community of Eastern mystics. Now, as they were starting to teach and ruminate on some of their ideas and starting to share them quietly, as we've come to discover that they didn't want a lot of people to know about the Enneagram and to misuse it in ways, and many of the ways in which the Enneagram can be misused today. 
Well, even early on in the history of the Enneagram here in the United States, it was Jesuits who started to attend some of these meetings and learning more about the Enneagram. Why? Because they were finding that it resonated with the worldview that they had that came from the scriptures, is that God was more interested in the heart and not just the behavior. Like, you've done all these great things for me, Jesus says, but your heart is far from me. I've, ne- I never know, I've never known you. But it was always a tool used by Christians as a tool. It was a wisdom tool that to be used in something like mentoring or spiritual direction. But here's the interesting thing about the Enneagram is that it doesn't prescribe anything. It only is a tool for categorizing or organizing the way that people relate to their world based upon core motivations. And so it's not a prescriptive tool. And that's where I think Christians misunderstand the Enneagram. This is not like Mormonism, where Joseph Smith has received a download from an angel or or whatever that experience might have been, and that became an authoritative text. That's not the Enneagram here. As a matter of fact, as we've talked to some of the teachers now who spent time with Claudio Naranjo, really the person who put together the modern um, expression of the Enneagram, even as he was teaching, they too were offering feedback from their experience. And so, as much as he was teaching them, he was learning from people as he was being, as he was teaching. And so rather than the download from heaven, it really was much more like a university professor sharing a theory and students, students developing it more. Now, is it true that some of the original thinkers like Echazo and Aranjo, they were not Christians? Yes. Did they use language that Christians are uncomfortable with to describe their inspirational experiences? Absolutely. But the great thing about the Enneagram is that as each teacher has put their mark on how they teach the Enneagram, they have taught it from their worldview. So whether it's uh, Jesuit Catholicism, or whether whether it's Protestant evangelicalism, or if it's more Eastern mystic and perhaps even New Age, each teacher is going to use the insights of the Enneagram, but prescribe their own solution to it. And that's why at your Enneagram coach, we say at the very top of the podcast that we are here to bring astonishing clarity so that people can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. For us, it is all about Jesus Christ. That's right. Even from the beginning, we found it a helpful tool where I was able to incorporate some of my understanding of pastoral counseling and biblical counseling also my training as a theologian and pastor. And this was a helpful tool for me to connect with people and for them to grow in their relationship with Christ, not to become Enneagram experts. Yeah. And a lot of people are always surprised that, you know, that we're not, I mean, yes, we have this business and we find it's a really good resourceful tool, but it is the gospel that we talk about. Okay. So thanks guys for these wonderful questions. And thanks for joining us today and hearing the answers that we have for you. If you have questions that you'd like to be answered on our podcast, then reach out to us at our email info at your And maybe your question will be selected. And as always, remember the Enneagram reveals our deepest needs for Jesus, not our need to work harder. It's the gospel that transforms us. 